But our, our, our punishment will not be in a civil court. It'll be in a Sharia court and punishable by death. Um, Dr. Bill Warner is from politicalislam.com. He is author of the book Sharia Law for Non-Muslims. Um, he also does a Taste of Islam series. I, I like to – and this is very, very rude to say it this way, but I don't think you'll mind. Uh, the way you would say it is I take very big subjects and I condense them down. I like to call it because of my old days in school, Cliff's Notes. And so, um, you know, you can make a further study, but I'm telling you, his Taste of Islam series, Islam is still one of the only religions that believes in slavery. He has one on slavery. We happen to be doing the Sira, which is the life of Muhammad. And the reason we chose the Sira for this WTN Masters in Divinities University course is because you can't understand the Quran, and you certainly can't understand the news or the war we're in or how to win it until you understand the life of Muhammad. And so we're starting there, the Sira, the life of Muhammad, WTN University with Dr. Bill Warner. That's your intro, by the way. Oh, I'm introed? Okay, let's ramp it up. In last, well, sometime back, I forget now when the last well, time Well, you had to take here. last week off <clears throat> due to uh, your secret meeting. Which, by the way, can you want to hear a funny anecdotal story? Tell me a funny anecdotal story. I was supposed to be in that same secret meeting with you, and I forgot about it. <laughs> so here I am on the air joking about, you're going to an undisclosed location in a secret meeting, so we can't have... And I forgot it was on my calendar, and I... Well, there you have it. So That's the reason to, I get paid the big bucks. Off the air, you have to fill me in on the meeting I was supposed to be at. But on the air, uh, it's been a couple of weeks. But just kind of review. We've kind of walked through well, from childhood to he, he was one of 365 religions. And then all of a sudden, wasn't it an option not to believe in his religion? And then all of a sudden, he gets into stealing and he gets into war. And uh, we've, we've learned a lot about where some of the doctrines <clears throat> of Islam come directly out of his life. And believe it or not, if you're joining this course in progress, we're finally to Muhammad's final jihad. Well, in previous episodes, we have had a treaty treaty signed, the Treaty of Hudabiyah, and so there was no jihad from Islam for a while, but there was a scuffle between some of Muhammad's allies and some of the Meccans' allies, and so the war was back on. And so Muhammad marched on Mecca with 10,000 troops, and he conquered, and as to he entered Mecca, he issued death warrants for five sets of people. One was a secretary, former secretary of his, who said that Muhammad let him tweak Allah's revelation so that they sounded better. And there were some singing girls who had sung satires. They had death warrants, an apostate, and a man who had insulted Muhammad. So those were the death warrants issued after he— By the way, we've had in the news in the last 10 days uh, children, and I mean small children, who have been arrested, uh, they have been convicted, and— in some cases, the punishable 
They'll be executed or have been executed, and in other cases, they will serve prison time for listening to American music. So, I mean, that's what I, I just want to remind people that this stuff that you see in real life happening is happening because they're following Muhammad, the perfect Muslim's example. So straight out of Muhammad's life comes the things that are straight out of the news today. And we're going to have another thing that Muhammad did that you've also seen the consequences of in the news. Remember in Afghanistan where the Taliban brought in artillery to bust down the huge Bamiyan Buddhas? Mm -hmm. Well, they did that because Muhammad, after he entered Mecca, remember there were 360 religions practiced in America, in uh, Mecca, all around the Kaaba. Well, there might be in America too, but we're talking about Mecca. And so he took with his own hands and destroyed all the art of other religions. So when the Taliban is gunning down those Buddhas, they're not making this stuff up. They're doing exactly what Muhammad did. Now, this accusation by the secretary, this is interesting, especially coming out of the debate last night. Uh, Donald Trump would call it flexible. But, you know, in the previous, and I don't know what chapter we're on, you, uh, previous 11 chapters, uh, we do see, I mean, she was accurate. Muhammad would often do that. His revelation would have you know, uh, amendments to them if they suited him at the moment. So she's not crazy in her accusation. In fact, she's accurate. That doesn't make it any more well-received. Well, after destroying the religious art, he sent Khalid out to start conquering the tribes around Mecca. And I want to read you a bit. I'm going to read you a poem because he uh, uh, attacked one tribe and beheaded many of them. One of those who was tied asked to be taken over to a girl. Now, who was Khalid, by the way? Because He was called as a great... uh, appendage to his name, Khalid, the sword of Allah. Okay. So he was he, one of his favorite warriors. For, he was a general and who was going to kill a lot of Kafirs later. Anyway, he's, he's tied there getting ready to have his head chopped off. He said, was I not a worthy lover? Did I not undertake journeys day and night for you? Reward me with love before tragedy. Reward me with love before the distance is too great. Even when our tribe's trouble took my attention, even then my love was there. She said to him, may your life be lengthened for years kissed him, and he was taken away to be beheaded. For some reason, though, this is just a very poignant, very human story in the midst of otherwise just what are statistics. And so I, I love the, the sweetness of that uh, poem, which was a death poem. There are more battles to come. <clears throat> During the next battle, uh, the Meccans were losing, and Muhammad showed his skill as a tactical general in there. He, uh, his troops were actually fleeing, and he stands up in his stirrups and says, Where are you going? Come to me, the apostle of Allah. And so his hardened troops did center around him, launched a counterattack and won. And he said, I love this phrase of his, as the killing started again in full fury. He says, now the oven is hot. <laughs> we have a very cold man. Mm-hmm. So then after the, uh, that battle, he attacked the uh, Taif. And uh, they, they weren't able to win there. But he did some things that were, uh, became part of jihad. He cut down all their grapevines because they grew, uh, grew grapes. And uh, one of the Muslim women asked if she could have the jewelry of some of the richest women in Taif. We have constantly throughout all these jihad stories. I'd love to the grab booty. the booty, yeah. Grab the booty. And we, we remind people that the booty is both figuratively and literally because they like to take women. Uh, they take the boys for slaves, the girls for sex slaves, and then they take all the jewels, the money, well, and the goods. Get Lots of booty. Well, get the last part of this paragraph. One of the Muslims was very disappointed at losing the battle because he wanted a woman from Taif for a slave. The people from Taif were noted for their intelligence, and he wanted to breed the slave to have smart children from her. Is this cold or what? Yeah, very. 
So anyway, there are more battles that follow one after the other. And then after uh, one of these, there's a, they're talking about how to, the worth of the slaves. And I want to read this to you. He wanted, uh, there was an old woman he wanted six camels for, and he thought she was rich and worth more. His friend said, let her go. Her breasts are flat. She can't conceive, and her mouth is cold. It's not like she's a virgin in her prime or even a plump middle-aged matron. So the man agreed to sell it to six camels. But we see these Syrian refugees, for example, which, by the way, aren't refugees. These are migrants, if not a troop deployment. But you're just walking the streets throughout Europe, just expecting to walk up to any woman and have sex with her. And um, and I do think that, you know, anecdotally, when you look at this footage, uh, the good-looking girls, and I'm not doing anything to demean women, but I mean by nature, by standards of beauty and, and so on, they like, you know, pick them up. But this too, you get this from the life of Muhammad. Right. I mean, these the women were obviously used for sex. But I mean, do, do you realize how demeaning that is? Oh, ah, she's flat-chested. Her yeah, mouth yeah. is cold. I think you understand what he's implying there. Right, I mean, right. It's not like she's a virgin. Right. I mean, they just and, – and so we wonder today, and you wonder today, as I do, uh, why, you know, Islam can be side by side with liberals when they're so anti-women and the atrocities towards women and the in a culture of tolerance. They're the most intolerant. I mean, you know, the true definition of tolerance, I mean, they will kill you for not agreeing with them. Uh, we disagree. You call that intolerance. No, that just means we have a difference, but how we respectfully treat each other in our difference makes tolerance. Uh, but this all comes straight out of life. I hope I, I know I'm being repetitive, but I hope people see that everything that you're seeing in the news, everything you're seeing in war, everything you're seeing in attack, this is all straight from this guy. So you can't say it's a peaceful religion that's been hijacked when it was it, it was in origin and it was the prophet and he is the only perfect Muslim. He is the originator and he is the standard. That's why you have this problem. But go ahead. Well. I would like to emphasize what you just said again, that everything that Muhammad does is the perfect example of the perfect divine life. So, Did, did you skip over uh, the rate of Tabuk? Because I know we're going to get into to the no, Jizya. No, we're, we're getting, I, 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 I want to do this. Yeah, because the, the whole concept of Jizya comes up in this. Right. And by the way, after the battle of Hazwan, he gave his, his closest companions, a slave girl each for the use of sex. Uthman took his sex slave and gave her to his son. I quote this once again to show you the coldness with which sex slavery was practiced Mm. by Muhammad. Still. And by the way, the term companion needs to be explained. That's like saying one of the apostles. I mean, companion here has a – it's usually spelled with a capital C. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so now then that is uh, the Arabian Peninsula was pretty much Islamic. What does Muhammad do? He heads north into Syria. Who is in Syria? Christians. Now the point here is is that – Muhammad had to leave home to go attack these Syrians. It's not like they were bothering him anywhere. So he uh, uh, went, he attacked the Byzantines, these are Byzantines, Mm -hmm. by the way, and he attacked them, and he also attacked others in Tabuk. And when he got to Tabuk, the people there without fighting just said they would pay the jizya, so they would not be attacked or killed. So this is Kohli protection money. So because of this Tabuk raid, I mean, earlier in previous jihad attacks, we get the concepts of taqiyah and betrayal and the ability to lie for a period of time. Um, And so today you either die or you convert or you demify and pay the jizya. I mean, this stuff is all still happening today. And here is the birth of it. Islamic State told all the Christians in Mosul they had these choices. Mm -hmm. So again, 
Everything you see in Islamic State, everything you see in jihad is not being made up, nor is it radical. No, it's fundamental. It's fundamental. Fulfillment is probably the best way to. It is the fulfilled version of Islam. Now, by the way, after doing so much conquering, some of the Muslims begin to feel rich enough and begin to lay aside some of their weapons. And uh, Muhammad forbid this, saying, There shall not cease from the midst of my people a party engaged in the fighting of truth until the Antichrist appears. Jihad was recognized as the normal state of affairs. And an eternal one, right? So this is all, it never ends. Exactly. There is no victory. There is no, it's over. We won. It's forever. Um, Interesting that they bring up Antichrist uh, in in your studies. um, And we hear this too from the Islamic State. We actually heard it more from uh, the Ayatollah and the previous president of Iran, where they would often, Ahmadinejad, would often prophesy about uh, the destruction of Israel. Then the uh, hidden imam appears. Uh, then there is, you know, uh, control of the world for seven years and then judgment by Allah. So just like everything that Muhammad did, uh, he came after. And so he takes portions of Judaism. He takes portions of Christianity uh, and makes them his own. And then people say it's equal or monotheistic and similar. It's not. He just made this stuff all up and grabs portions of it. Uh, what is their version of end times and what is their version of an antichrist and how similar I've, I've often suggested you know, it's going to be very ironic. If it plays out the way it could potentially play out, for Muslims, they may think that the Antichrist is the hidden imam's appearance. Jews might think it's the Messiah, and Christians might think it's the second coming. Either way, it's all the same. And even though they all made it up, that whoever this Antichrist is when he comes, he could certainly occupy all three of these. Well, what's more interesting, I think, is the prediction of what Jesus will do when he comes back to earth, because Muslims say Jesus will come back, but he will, instead of being judged, he will lead the attack against the Christians. He will break the cross and kill the pig, which is, that is, he will establish Jesus when he returns, will fight on the side of Islam, he will, uh, rem- he will marry, he will have children, and then he will die. Now, the problem is the Bible of the Old and the New Testament and the prophecies of Ezekiel describe something different. It describes the world uniting against Israel and God intervening, and that is a prerequisite to the Antichrist's appearance, and eventually Armageddon. And when Jesus comes back, it's, uh, it's over. But go ahead. Well, now what happens is, is the, the Arabic tribes begin to convert to Islam by the tribe, by the boatload, shall we say. Well, that's an odd expression to use. What have we desert. killed so far? Jews, Christians? Pagans. Pagans. Apostates. Is this the first for Arabs? Well, actually. No, the Arabs were pagan. Well, yeah, at that time. That's right. right. Okay. Sorry. So anyway, uh, so they were sitting around waiting what was going to happen. And when they saw that Muhammad was winning, they came in droves to convert. And one of them sent a message and said, uh, we have converted to Islam. I've received your message and informed your conversion to Islam and you're killing kafirs. Allah has guided you. Send one-fifth of the spoils of war and tax the believers. Christians and Jews who do not convert must pay the poll tax, the jizya. This goes back, by the way, to one of our first classes that I, I still think was one of the most fascinating parts of this course so far. And that was, I can't remember his name now, you will, right off the top of your head. But he, you know, at the time, here comes this guy, Muhammad. He used to work in the caravans. Now, all of a sudden, he claims God's revealed himself. But that's all right. We're in an area where there's 360 religions. Here's another one. Let him have his fun. And then after a while, some are like saying, well, you know, at least Jesus raised people from the dead. At least he fed thousands. At least he created, you know, you know, had miracles. Get, do something for us. You know, do a trick. You don't ever do anything. And, and, of course, the trick was eventually violence. 
and but that one of those very first early converts, he didn't convert because he thought Islam offered anything. He didn't convert because he thought it was wonderful and worthy of conversion. He just loved that they were violent and willing to die. I can't remember who that was. Well, it was the uh, man, his brother was a Muslim. And when Muhammad said, kill every Jew you can lay your hands on, he killed his Jewish business partner. And when he thought, man, gosh, if you're going to kill your best friend and your partner and somebody that's helped put bread on your table, I mean, that's commitment. They were, like, impressed with the violence. Oh, no, he says, any man, any, any, pro, any man who could bring you to this is a wonderful religion. And by the way, he had a wonderful expression for what the Jewish partner did. He said, he put the fat on your belly. Oh, yeah. Which was a poetic but expression. I mean, all right, so that was a singular example. Yes. Which shows a cultural proclivity to respond to, right? And then As here, Os- and here is a corporate or group, right? As Osama bin Laden said, after nine eleven, many Americans converted to Islam. Osama bin Laden's explanation of this is: people love a strong horse. So when those buildings came down on nine eleven, that made it, that gave a lot of cred and respect right, to like, people with those. Proclivities. These dudes are heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. I want to be on their team. Gotcha. Okay, and that's all that was happening mm-hmm. here, right? Right. Now then, I want to read a, another quote because this is one of my favorite quotes from the Sirah. Muhammad sent Mudah to Yemen to proselytize. While he was in Yemen, a woman asked what rights a husband has over his wife. He replied, get this, if you went home and found your husband's nose running with pus and blood and you sucked it until it was cleaned, you still would not have fulfilled all your husband's rights. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's... These people are graphic and disgusting. <laughs> well, actually, the language in the Sirah is somewhat gripping in some strange ways. The fat on your belly, love a strong horse. And from that, Muhammad sent out tax collectors to every part of Islam to collect, collect the, the tizia. Now, do you understand why I call this political Islam? Yeah, I think so. I've, I've caught on a long time ago, Bill, <laughs> uh, but not others have. I mean, right. when I file my taxes, I don't consider it an act of worship. No. Let me just tell you that. Uh, this is the life of Muhammad, the Sirah. It's just a portion of the Taste of Islam series. And if you're interested in owning your own copy or all of the Taste of Islam series, you'll find it at politicalislam.com and Sharia Law for Non-Muslims because you haven't figured this out and your leaders haven't figured this out. Uh, but Islam and Sharia law is not just for them. It is commanded of you. Uh, these things that we talk about, I don't know when, but sooner or later, if you don't stop them there, they're going to be here and they're going to happen to you. And they're happening every day because they first happened with the only perfect Muslim, Muhammad. This is not a hijacking. This is a fulfillment. This is a 1,400-year cycle. Sooner you understand it. Well, at least the sooner, I don't think it'll be any safer, thanks to your leaders, but the sooner you'll know what's coming next. We'll continue with our WTN University Master's in Divinity course, The Life of Muhammad the Sirah, with Dr. Bill Warner from politicalislam.com next. Miss Freeman, perhaps you'd like to share with the entire class what you and Mr. Del Giorno find so funny? You're listening to WTN University on Super Talk 99.7 WTN. The life of Mohammed the Sirah with Dr. Bill Warner from politicalislam.com. Why? Because you can't understand the Quran. You can't understand Islam unless you understand the perfect prophet, Mohammed. Quite frankly, you can't make sense of the news unless you understand the life of, of the prophet. And I'll tell you, one of the, the you know, the, the great false narratives that are at work today is that there's this notion that Islam is whatever somebody who claims to be Islamic says. 
Let me tell you something. If you want to understand what Christianity is, don't go to some giant sanctuary with smoke machines and laser lights. Don't go by this guy or that guy or the one on his third marriage telling you he's a Christian. You want to know what Christianity is? You go study Jesus Christ. He is the standard. You know, we had a talk show host in America, and I'm not bashing him by any stretch of the imagination, but everybody's in such awe that a talk show host in a major city decided to come out and tell everyone he is a gay Christian and what courage it took to say he was a gay Christian. And in that coming out, of course, he positions everybody that's not a gay Christian as some kind of a counterfeit version of Christianity where his is a courageous one. And again, the Bible standard is the only thing relevant. Now, I'll be tolerant of him, and I'm certainly not bashing him, and I'm not giving his name, but, but that isn't Christianity, and that isn't even in sync with the teachings of Christianity. But for those of you that think Islam is, well, it must be, I met this great Muslim guy, and that must be Islam, so this stuff you're teaching is craziness. Well, first of all, that's not accurate. You want to understand Islam, understand Muhammad's life, which is why we're teaching it to you, number one. And number two, unlike what Christianity is guilty of, compromised believers. See, there are three types of Christians today, just like there are three types of Muslims. There's Christians who really believe and live it. Frankly, you're not living it. You're dying, and Christ is living through you, his life by the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to go there. Those who really believe it and live it, those who really believe it but live in compromise, and those who don't believe it and live in rebellion. You don't get that same pick-and-choose buffet option that you have failed the world with in your cultural Christianity in Islam. You live all of it or you die. That's a significant point, Bill, that we need to reiterate to everyone. Well, I've heard, I've heard this said so many times. I met this Muslim, and he said, and they say nice things. And I always say to them, well, you know, I know a Muslim also, but his name is Muhammad. And if your Muslim friend says anything about Islam that contradicts Muhammad, he's wrong. And if he says anything about Islam that agrees with Muhammad, he's right. So let's just skip the in-between and go directly to Muhammad. Let me ask you this, this because I know history is a big deal for you, like statistics and science is a big deal to you. If we were still calling him what we used to call him, Mohammedans, Mohammedans, we yeah. wouldn't be having this kind of a debate, would we? No. And I they, mean, it was very clever that they switched from that. Well, you know, we helped to do the switch. Now, what Muslims say is, well, uh, Mohammedan, we don't worship Muhammad. Look, I'm a Tennessean, but that doesn't mean I worship Tennessee. So a Mohammedan is simply someone who worships in the manner of Muhammad does. And when you see how they pray... I mean, the, it's micromanaged to pray exactly like Muhammad did. So every Muslim or every Mohammedan must imitate Muhammad. You absolutely, and they re- don't get to pick and choose. You absolutely f- refuse to have any conversations based anecdotally. No, when you're talking about Islam, you talk only about Muhammad. Why bother? That's the way I'm always right. And besides that, it's more amusing because Muhammad has an incredible story. Why is that important? Not only to the previous eleven classes, but certainly to this twelfth. Well. People are not making Islam up. They don't get a choice. You're supposed to follow the Sunnah of Muhammad. Islam very clearly is the Quran plus the Sunnah of Muhammad. And the Sirah is part of the Sunnah. That is the way of Muhammad. So what we're teaching here is the pure stuff. And I'd remind our listeners that this is the first time that I know of in all history of humanity where the life of Muhammad has been put out over mass media. This is what we're doing here is rather extraordinary. Well. 
That's why every week I usually make a joke, if we're here. Because sooner or later we will be gurgling over a bloody sword for doing it. But, yes, it is a first. Thank you for acknowledging and reminding our enemies of that. I hope my wife's not listening. All right, go ahead. Well, anyway, Muhammad makes his – after conquest of Arabia, he makes his final privilege to Mecca. And he gives a famous talk in which he is known as his farewell address. And he reminds – Men and women that they have rights over each other, that the women must never commit adultery or act in a sexual manner, and that men can beat them if they don't act right. And uh, to lay injunction on women lightly, for they are prisoners of men and have no control over their persons. Time out. Um, what did I just say there? The prisoners of men, uh, they're allowed to beat them. I mean, we see this every day and ignore it. And um, so, you know, part of me wants to say, how do we ignore this? portion of Muhammad's life. I mean, how does he get away with this? And yet I can't even say that with a straight face when nobody in the world, the culture of the world, is acknowledging how Muslim men treat women. In fact, you will find liberal women's groups standing side by side with homosexuals and Muslims, and they don't even realize, the gay guy doesn't realize, if they ever get their population numbers, if they ever get their agitation and infiltration and control, you're the first to die. I mean, I, I guess what I would say with a straight face to you is, why do women's groups, why do Americans, I mean, I think Jesus and Paul did more to liberate women than anybody in history, and yet here's Muhammad who's done more to oppress them, and they oppress every day, and nobody notices it in the news or in Muhammad's life or speaks against it. Let me say a positive word here, which I never thought these words would come out of my mouth, but the New York Times wrote in its Sunday edition that there was a dark sickness in Islam that is around sex. This is the New York Times finally saying, you know, something's wrong here. But if something is blown up in their face, it is the way these refugees, they're not refugees, they're migrants and they're troop deployments, but I'll have to say what everybody's calling them. The way these refugees are behaving in Europe, it's making it impossible for people not to see this side of Islam. They haven't hidden it. Now, you know, when you say it's impossible, I well, have learned. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I have learned that denial is one of the strongest forces in the Hell of a life. river. It's a <laughs> hell of a river. And you. some people own a condo right on the river. Right on the river. All right, so his farewell pilgrimage. Let's, uh, let's get into this. Well, he last goes year to, of life. His last By the way, year, how old is he at this point? He dies at age 63. So, he's, so by now, Aisha is how old? Ooh, in her 40s, right? Yeah, no, 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 uh, no, no, no. 30s? She was 18 when he died. Oh, that's all she was? Yeah. That's so really sick. So what was he when he when she was uh, six and he married her? Yeah. Nine when he consummated. Yes. How old was he? 54, 55. That's just sick. Okay, go ahead. Well, anyway. That's, do, I didn't even mean to do, do that on the air. Do, so. Doing the math. So anyway, here's the... What we need to talk about now is – oh, he also gives the advice to feed and clothe your slaves well. That was part of his farewell address, which I thought was nice. So he and Aisha go to Mecca. They give their farewell address. Uh, one last reminder, everybody, to beat your wives, possess them, own them, uh, and then what? Well, he covers the basics. Then uh, he – we need to cover here the final state of the Christians and the Jews. Now, notice I said the final state. Islam always has two things to say about every subject. Jews are praised early in Mecca, then condemned later in Medina. Christians are praised at first and then later condemned. So we need to keep up with the fact that these are the final words and be reminded of the fact that the Quran itself says the last word is the best. Can I beg you to do one thing? Yeah. Uh, Starting with M453, please don't feel a need 
to summarize. Go okay, ahead. Go, read, ahead with go ahead and read it. This is this is very important. This is the perfect Muslim, the example, the prophet. Not the nice guy you met at the store or you work with. This is his final message to Christians and Jews. And I don't think I have to tell you what the state of the world is right now concerning Islam and Muslims' treatments of Christians and Jews. In his last statement, Christians and Jews become perpetual second-class citizens, dimmies. Only those Christians and Jews who submit to Islam are protected. The real Christians are those who deny the Trinity and accept Muhammad as the final prophet. The real Jews are those who accept Muhammad as the final prophet of their God, Jehovah. Both Christians and Jews must accept that the Quran is the true scripture and that the Old Testament and New Testament are corrupt and in error. All other Jews and Christians are false and are kafirs. Now let's read the the most important verse in the Quran for Christians and Jews. This is the final verse on Christianity and Judaism. Make war... 929. Make war on those who have received the scriptures, Jews and Christians, but do not believe in Allah or the last day. They do not forbid what Allah and his messenger have forbidden, that is the Sharia. The Christians and Jews do not follow the religion of truth until they submit and pay the jizya, and they are humiliated. Let me remind everybody what the chairman of the Council on Islamic Relations said in arriving on California soil in 1998. Islam is not in America to be one of many religions. It is not here to be a part of a Judeo-Christian culture, but to replace it with Islam, to replace the Old and the New Testament with that of the Quran, and to be the only acceptable religion. You know what his opening address in 1998 in California was? Muhammad's farewell address. Right. And by the way, he's telling the truth. Well, yeah. They're not here to, this states it. Christians and Jews can live in Islamic lands as long as they submit. I got it, but I have to not be tolerant and coexist like the bumper sticker. I have to deny the deity of Christ. I have to accept Muhammad Islam and that Muhammad is the final prophet. In other words, I just have to give up my eternity to, you know, you catch the essence avoid of the, tax, the taxing or death of their false religion. When we come back, speaking of death, Muhammad's death. And then we'll get into uh, some a preview of what is to come as we wrap up this class. The Sira, the life of Muhammad, WTN University's Masters in Divinities, concludes for the day next on WTN. Mr. Del Giorno, I know you know this material better than the professor, but at least look interested. You're listening to WTN University on Super Talk 99.7 WTN. 11.54, let's wrap up WTN University and let's enjoy this weekend. We're going to have uh, partly cloudy skies, warmer temperatures, spring that Bill's been begging for. High tomorrow, 63, 65 on Sunday. All right, well, we've we've tracked this guy from birth to childhood. I, I should say birth, abandonment, childhood to revelation, to being one of 360 religions, to then demanding to be the only one, to then the persecution and conquering of the world. He was uh, religious and tolerant for a short period of time and very uninfluential. For a longer period of time, he was very political, a little more influential, and ultimately a bloodthirsty, enslaving, conquering warrior of most influence, an influence that is still alive and well in the world today as a force of evil. But let's get to his uh, earthly demise and conclude his life with his death. Mohammed. Well, before we get that, let's summarize his life as with regards to jihad. In a nine-year period, Muhammad personally took part in 27 raids, 
There were 38 other battles and expeditions for a total of 65 armed events, not including assassinations and executions, for an average of an armed event of every six weeks for the last nine years of his life. He was a busy man. Busy. <laughs> so, well, and by the way, in case people are listening to this for the first time, we have a great deal of respect for Muhammad. We, we, we found him a brilliant warrior. We a brilliant a politician. Brilliant politician and manipulator. I mean, nobody. We, we do not take our enemy lightly. He's a formidable opponent who's alive and well and very people that are. The problem is nobody wants to acknowledge him or his teachings and what's happening in the world today. And we need to embrace all of Muhammad. And by the way, that is one of the commands of Islam. You don't get to pick and choose what you do. You're supposed to obey all of the Sunnah of Muhammad. His death? His death. Well, he died with his head in Aisha's lap. He had a massive headache. And the last words he said was, there should be no other religions besides Islam and Arabia, and keep giving the money to the Kafir ambassadors. And by the way, that's being done here in the Tennessee legislature today by Islam, the Turkish Chamber of Commerce. Life to the death of Mohammed, but there's still much more to come in this course on the life of Mohammed, the Sira, part of our WTN University. And we'll pick it up from there next Friday at 11. Dr. Bill Warner from politicalislam.com. Thanks again for joining us. And uh, I'll see you all Monday morning at 9 o'clock. I need this weekend. I hope I'm in better spirits by then. I doubt America's in any better shape.